Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, everybody. You know, hunters are getting attacked from all angles right now. Whether it's a bill to stop black bear hunting in California, social groups attacking predator hunting in B.C., hunters are getting targeted. This is why right now is more important than ever to join SCI. You guys have heard me talk about all the great work B.C. Interior SCI is doing. Give them a hand by becoming a member today. All you got to do is go to their webpage, click on that membership. For no more than a box of beer, you can get a year-long membership. This is an episode I did with the boys over the Come Out Heavy podcast. Gavin and Kurt are a couple of stand-up fellas with a lot of great hunting-related topics, so be sure to subscribe to their podcast. And we did a giveaway with their listeners, so I'm going to do the same with anyone listening to this podcast. All you got to do is write me, tell me what episode number I did on their show, and I'm going to send you a $100 gift certificate redeemable at Focus Hunting. This sucks. What are you guys drinking over there? Michelob Ultras for me. Devin's got me in a diet for next fall, so <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm always on the light beer or else I'll look like a bag of milk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm on the light beer, but I uh I don't know. I just found this last weekend, the caribou brand out of PG. Oh, yeah. I haven't drank, I haven't drank caribou in like five years. And then I seen caribou has a light version. So I tried it last weekend and fuck, I'm like hooked to them now. Yeah. I switched from the old BLs. Yeah. When I was, <laughs> when I was younger, I used to laugh at all the older, older guys drinking light beer, but now you got to do it. Man. Yeah. Oh, we, yeah. We, we call them athlete beers. Yeah. Athlete yeah. beers. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, maybe uh, we'll just get going eh, before I'm going to have some kids running in here, I'm sure, before they go to bed. So pardon the interruption when it happens. Okay, we'll kind of let you fly with the start since uh, you kind of headed this whole meeting up. And then we can just kind of knock out whatever you want to roll with it after that. And then we have some things we can talk about. Go yeah, okay. Sounds good. Uh, well, my name is Kevin Toy. Uh, I'm a born and raised BC boy. I'm from a coastal 
on Prince Rupert. Uh, growing up on the coast with two brothers, I enjoyed all the spoils of the outdoors, you know, hunting and fishing. And uh, uh, we spent a lot of time on the water, oceans and rivers. As I got older, I turned to commercial fishing. You know, did that for about half a decade. And then with a good friend and help from his dad, uh, we started out on our own and bought a commercial fishing boat. And unfortunately, that adventure didn't last too long. It sunk. And I'm not saying that metaphorically, the boat actually sunk. <laughs> Moved to Kelowna in 2007 and started working construction with my brother. And we started out a business together here. But, you know, as working with brothers uh, often does, we just butted heads too much. So started out my own. And for, I'd say, about the first four or five years here in Kelowna, I, I didn't do a lot of hunting and fishing. Most of my time was devoted solely to my business. But uh, then I started having kids and then talking to my wife, whose dad was a was a huge hunter and big fisherman. Uh, we decided we need to get her involved in the outdoors. So uh, we bought a trailer and spent a lot of time with my cousin camping. And uh, he was seven years older and, and he's always been really involved in, in hunting and the outdoors. And, you know, I think he's killed more animals than I've had sleep. So uh, it wasn't hard to get obsessed with the lifestyle again. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really naive to the fact that BC had issues surrounding its wildlife. You know, it's something I've always sort of been aware of. And then it was actually on an outing with my dad and my son. We were grouse hunting. I kind of started to realize the impact of generational hunting traditions. And, you know, with that in mind, I started joining a few organizations to, you know, just help out. And then I started slowly paying attention to what was going on in our province with its wildlife. And, uh, um, over the next few years, I think I joined almost every nonprofit organization out there and um, I donated a bit of money and offered up some time, but I only seemed to get a response on the monetary contributions. So uh, I spent probably a year or so thinking of different ways within my capabilities that I could uh, that I could help out, you know, get involved, get noticed. Uh, and then I eventually conjured up the idea for focus hunting and uh, um, it's funny, you know, having a, a brand behind you gives you a little more opportunity to get involved, get noticed and, uh, and give back a lot more effectively. And um, then I just started a podcast. So that's pretty much the long and short of my story. Yeah. So <clears throat> I like how you, uh, about what got you interested back into the hunting fishing world was the generational hunting and what part you wanted to play in conservation. I mean, my name's Devin Gassoff and uh, I grew up, well, Kurt and I both grew up in, in, in the Caribou in the Quinell area and I lived there till 19 and hockey drove me to the Kootenai area and once I landed in the Kootenays and played hockey here for a couple years I mean a girl had a a strong part in in staying down this way but I fell in love with that backcountry hunting and all the experiences that people travel to the Kootenays for so but hearing you talk about generations like Kurt and I we grew up hunting our whole lives. Grandparents, great-grandparents did it. Our dads do it. And, you know, we just took everything for granted. I'm not saying we take it for granted, but like all the effort now that has to be put in to try to hang on to what we love and what we're passionate about is sure a scary thought. Um, maybe I'll let you dive into that too, Kurt, a bit. Introduce yourself there. Yeah, I'm Curtis Gassoff, Devin's older cousin. And like you said, we we both grew up in the Quinella area and our summers basically consisted of going fishing and camping and then hunting in the fall with our family. And we'd have big camps where, you know, there'd be my dad and his brothers and all their kids. And there'd be like 20 of us out of hunting camp, stay out for a week, week and a half. And LEH kind of came in later on as we were getting older. But before that was general open season for moose. And, you know, our family, they were beef farmers, but beef was to be sold to make money. So you shot moose to eat, right? That was kind of where they started started going horseback hunting and then as the logging started pushing farther and farther into the bush then it turned into truck hunting but that's kind of where we started you know with just going out with our family and putting the miles on and hanging out and it was a pretty cool way to grow up yeah i think uh you know i think that's one thing most hunters 
um, you know, we kind of all follow that same patrilineal lineage. Dad hunted, grandpa hunted, and uh, he grew up on the coast, Prince Rupert, there, region six. And man, I remember being eight years old going hunting with those guys and seeing some of the moose they took out of the backcountry. Man, it was amazing. And I have friends up there who are still hunting and they don't see moose like that. They, they're lucky to see a moose at all. Never mind, you know, 48 inch moose. Yeah. Quinell area, like when we were kids. It'd be nothing to, you know, one camp to pull four moose uh, in a week. And then there'd be a camp a couple of kilometers down the road. They'd get the same thing, right? And yeah. obviously when the general open season happened, animals are going to get wiped out pretty quick, especially as logging starts pushing farther back and there's more clear cuts. And then the wolves seem to follow it in too. And, you know, you have a couple of really good years. And then once the wolves find them, then they just, you know, wipe them out. And it takes, I don't know what the cycle would be, but basically enough time for those blocks to grow back up. And then you start to see the numbers come, you know, pick back up. And it's definitely not like it was when we were kids. Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. When paying attention to what was going on, those are all issues that, that were predominant was, you know, road access and, and predators and predation and all that. You know, the predators, um, it just seems to be a constant topic and nothing seems to be done about it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's not enough guys. Like, I mean, to go out and call some coyotes in that, you know, that's pretty efficient. You can go out and set up one of those fox pros and whack a couple of coyotes. That's cool. But to go out and actually target wolves, it's a lot of work. And yeah. it's not like just driving your truck and sitting in a farmer's field somewhere like you you got to kind of hone in on where they're at they're usually chasing the moose around all winter up here anyways and you know it's usually some snowmobiling some snowshoeing in some setting up and you know the trappers can put a pretty good dent on them especially if there's some pretty good packs but they reproduce so fast that you never keep up like you kill one well there's 10 more in the pack. Well, next year there's 40. So it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. tough. And, it, and it's a tough hunt. I mean, hunting coyotes, you know, I've shot a couple of coyotes, but I had to work damn hard to shoot those coyotes. It's, it's a lot of snowshoeing and like a lot of sled work and, and you're, man, you're freezing your ass off and there's two feet of snow. And yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's a tough hunt for people to get into for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tricky, but it's gotta be done. And I think there needs to be a little bit more done. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I mean, I, what have we been, Kurt and I have been doing this podcast for all of three months right now. And I know, didn't you start in September last year, Kev, or something, or August? Yeah, yeah, right about then, right around the, the hunting season. And then I kind of I kind of fell off the map. I didn't really get back into it till towards uh, mid to end November. And then in December, okay. I kind of just kind of crammed as many as I could into to December. It's it's our slow season for, for work too, right? So it gives you a little bit yeah, of more Yeah, it gives you time. Yeah. I mean, just in those three months, the amount I've learned just from talking to people and even just talking to Kirk because now we talk about topics and and that's yeah. one of the reasons we kind of wanted to start a podcast too um we wanted to bullshit we wanted to learn we don't have a, a foot on the ground or near to the ground when it comes to conservation what's the next best thing to do but just talking to guys like on our episodes that have been in the industry for so long and, and talk to biologists and all these people and for me what was an eye-opener and we talked about it I think in our last episode was just the the amount of damage the bears can do and not not talking just grizz but just the black bears putting a, a dent on the young yellow population stuff and i didn't realize that i mean i didn't know this i mean i'm sure a lot of hunters do and now i'm more focused to maybe you know try to harvest a black bear this spring and it's an interesting thought that i never really considered yeah i don't think you think of it as much i mean it's a lot of fun and it's something that you know my dad never did he was a moose hunter right that's being from the north it was just he's totally predominantly moose hunter and uh, yeah i kind of got into it uh just by myself and but man it's a lot of fun and 
And yeah, I took two out last year and hopefully I'm going to do it again this year. But bear hunting's a lot of fun and the meat's good. The thing I was really surprised on and there's so many different ways to cook and it's uh, it's really good. Yeah, I, I found like same as you, our, we were, our family was moose hunters growing up. But I remember seeing a black bear in the bush and, you know, ask your dad and your kid, oh, can we shoot that? And he's like, oh, we don't shoot black bears, right? And yeah, what gonna, exactly. What are you ever going to do with it? Never thought yeah. in a million years that you'd take it home and process it and, and eat it because that's just they never didn't do it right no exactly and my dad's still the same way you talk to him about moose hunt or i mean uh bear hunting hey let's go do a bear hunt this this spring nope no interest in it doesn't even want to try it yeah it's just born and bred into them right that's it's funny but i mean it's great and bear hunting to me like i I watch it on tv now and it's man i i get chills when i'm watching it on tv it's just awesome it's so fun i started doing it uh with my bow and just still hunting them man is it fun i did that last year and man what a rush you get you you sneak up on some bears and they hop up you know 10 20 yards from me it's uh, it's something else yeah in uh i think we used to go out like in our 20s or whatever and you're basically go out and have a couple beers and drive around waste gas and you know you'd see the odd bear i always used to get a bear tag just if you go camping and a bear you have a problem bear then you got a tag you can take care of it or whatever but i got into guiding bears for a local outfitter here in quenelle and that really like got me hooked on it especially you know you're getting families come up from oregon and all those places and they're just so excited and you know they'd come up and they'd shoot four bears between the whole family and They'd be the kids are just excited about taking bear hams home, and I'm looking. I'm like, "You're crazy! What are you talking about?" Like, yeah. And and then yeah, I've tried it, and you're like, "It's actually pretty good." Like, you know, I wouldn't tell my dad that, but um, yeah. <laughs> it's like you said, spot and stalking. Like it's oh, it's man. pretty cool. And then yeah. in the the springtime as well is where you sit all winter, and you you know, mm-hmm. there's nothing really to do. So as soon as that you start seeing dandelions and that grass pop up. Yeah, right away I'm just thinking like, okay, there's gonna be some big bears out right now. Let's go cruise around and it's, yeah. it's pretty neat. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. We used to you know, that was one thing when we got into turkey hunting, we couldn't wait just because it broke up the long stretch of the season, right? And then we so we've I mean, we've been turkey hunting for quite a while now and then, you know, we kinda got into bear hunting as well and yeah, it's it's awesome. I, I look just as forward to bear hunting as I do to September 1st. Oh, there's no way. You can't say that with a fucking <laughs> oh, straight face. I mean, I'm dude. not saying bear hunting's not fun, but fucking September 1st. You can't sit here and tell a couple elk nuts fucking you don't want to hear a bugle September 1st. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I enjoy it just as much. <laughs> all right. All right. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, you can't beat. I mean, you know getting a turkey going at four o'clock in the morning it's you know it, it sends you know, shivers up the back of your neck but i mean there's nothing beats the roar of an elk bugling you know yeah, on the you, other opposite hill from you that's fair the turkey on i mean we don't we never had turkeys up in the caribou and um now the freaking turkey population in the west kootenays is exploding so yeah I'll, I'll say that openly like if you want to come to the west kootenays and hunt turkey come and hunt fucking turkey i ain't protecting them like it is unreal like i walk to work i mean i just posted the other day on the podcast instagram page and there was like 16 toms in the group all like long bearded just on my little walk on the power <laughs> line to work i'm like oh my god like yeah, yeah. do you get uh, do you get into hunting them in the spring I like to get out, just like you said, just to break up that, well, now that I'm thinking about bear hunting, that'll be my breakup thing. But no, I like to get out. It is kind of like the spring elk hunt. You get up yeah. early and you, I've had some fun times where you, they get tree, they tree themselves and we've taken a few, we always hunt them with our bows down here. 
I yeah. don't know. I just, it's just a lot of fun to try to chase those little things around and, and they're not smart yet. They're so new to the, the area. So it, yeah, it's not that hard to find them, but yeah, yeah. it's a lot of fun. Oh, it's a, it's a hoot for sure. Yeah. I've never, I, the first time I ever seen turkeys was when I was coming down elk hunting with Devin. I've never seen one in my life and we were hawk walking through the bush and you'd see, I don't even know what they're called. A school of turkeys go by. And <laughs> I was like, Holy shit, there's wild turkeys here. And like, yeah, they're all over the place. I'm like, fuck, like, can we shoot them right now? Like, <laughs> You know, it was, we were obviously elk hunting, but I was just, yeah, it was cool. It's like something, you know, I've spent since as long as I can remember in the bush, never seen a wild turkey. So the very first time I seen a bunch of them go by, I was like, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh man. They're a neat critter. I remember the first time I shot one and looking at it. I mean, they look like an alien looking at that thing. I couldn't believe it. I was like, what the, f-? yeah, pretty gnarly looking, <laughs> but they're cool, man. They're a lot of fun. Do you, uh, so where do you guys do your elk hunting? Mostly down in the down the Kootenays there? In the woods. Yeah, out in the bush. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm, I'm fucking with you. Yeah, Kurt, uh, well, actually, we do it both ways. But uh, since I live in the Kootenays, like, I mean, I see elk every week here. So Kurt usually makes a trip down down this way in the fall. The last year, he didn't just because we chased sheep up in northern BC. But yeah, Kurt will usually, I'll, I'll tease him. For years, I would, when I didn't have kids and I had more time, I'd get in the backcountry and set up a lot of trail cams on wallows and find little honey holes and stuff. And I knew I needed to entice them the nine hour, 10 hour drive to me. And uh, I'd send him one picture of a big bull and, and he'd be on the hook. So yeah, he'd yeah, be he, in his vehicle. Yeah. Oh yeah. He'd come, he'd come down and meet me. I mean, I, that's where we done. Then Kurt, if you want to touch on where you've, you've hunted elk up there too, a little bit. Yeah. I kind of got into it. Same thing, early twenties and first time I went out, my brother-in-law, you know, I've never even heard an elk bugle in my life. And so he's like, yeah, I'll pick you up after work. We'll go elk hunting. I'm like, yeah, cool. Whatever. I had skate shoes and Carhartts on and, you know, like nothing special. Just went out there, call a six point in and he shot it. And I was like, that was the coolest hunt I've ever been on my life. Like I was running up and down the hill, like cow calling and he's bugling. I'm like, I was breaking a sweat just trying to pretend like an elk walking away. Like and it was, I was absolutely hooked from that moment on. And and I'd spent 14 years ever since that day trying to kill an elk. I was going to say that sounds pretty easy. And it, yeah, I kind of had the same experience with first elk. I was hunting with my cousin there. And I mean, he did all the calling. and He did everything. He just said, okay, you go down there and I'm going to walk up here behind this ridge. And I'm going to call, get ready. And then sure enough, walked out and stopped, I don't know, 25 yards from me and looked right at me and then took one step broadside. And, and that was his story. And then, yeah, it uh, it definitely got harder after that. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so, man. It was like a lot of hours of you just like the elk hunting around up here is not that great. It's you know, in Region 5, they just opened up an LEH season in, like, I don't know if it's January or something like that. But there's an area once you go north of town and you get into that Region 7 and it's six-point bulls, but it's a lot of pressure. Like, we've talked about it on other podcasts, and it's just really tough to, to pull bulls out of there. Yeah. So, like, last year in 15 years is the first bull I've been out there and killed since my brother-in-law killed one my very first elk hunting experience. So like they're very few and far between. That's why I've been going down South with Devin, because when he first moved down there, he was sending me bulls that him and his buddies were killing. I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like I got to get down there. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, that's awesome. I actually pulled a, I pulled a six by six out of the Kootenays this year, which was, it was kind of fortuitous. We were on a, on a goat hunt down in four one there and uh, yeah, just got lucky, but yeah. Nice. Was your, 
Was your goat hunt uh, LEH or did you yeah. go to a GOS, GOS? It was a LEH. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Actually, we put in for that one, uh, an acquaintance of mine. We, him and I put in it thinking we were going to get it because the draw odds are pretty good in there. And he ended up not getting it. But uh, one of his friends put in the same one and uh, and he got it. So all three of us were going to go together and he was going to do some elk hunting. And then he kind of pulled the shoot at the last minute so i ended up going on the goat hunt with a, a stranger which you know it's one of those things you're you know especially on a seven-day goat hunt and the kootenays in the region i wasn't familiar i mean i i studied the shit out of it with topo maps and 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 all that stuff and did a, a summer scout down there but um yeah but i mean it, it worked out so and and he's a he's a great guy a great hunter and uh, it was a lot of fun for sure that was my first goat so it was uh it was something else had you oh sorry go ahead Go well, I was just gonna say, so you did your a goat hunt with a complete stranger? Yeah, yeah, man. Wow. That's <laughs> that's ballsy, that's, eh? That's super ballsy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, it's one of those things where I was like, well, fuck it. It's, it can only go two ways. It can only go good or bad. So here we go. Yeah. Well, good for you. That's. <laughs> I don't think I would ever do that myself. Like take that risk. Like I don't know. Well, especially you said the goat was leh yeah so yeah like well and you know i don't have any luck with leh's so uh oh, i got one either. yeah that and i so i got one and um yeah it's just i couldn't say no i was going i was gonna go by myself if anything and then uh, um but you know like i said it uh, at the beginning you're kind of unsure of it and um you know he was pretty skeptical and you know but we just once we got into it it was all good it all worked out and uh, it was a lot of fun for sure Something I'll remember uh, forever. That's awesome. Awesome. What were you going to say, Dev? Oh, I was just going to ask Kevin if that was his like first goat hunt experience, or did you have other prior experiences in, in some manner, and then you just were able to to dial it in on this one, or, or how did that uh, work? Out? Well, he, the guy I was with, he's been in that area. He's from that that area, so he's he's really very in the terrain and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, he's taken a, a, a couple of goats, not specifically where we were, but in that in that vicinity. So, yeah, it, it worked out really well, and uh, he got a goat, and I got a goat, and yeah, man, it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. I think I remember hearing that. I think I listened to part of that podcast or, or on your goat hunt prep. Do you you did like a backpack style goat hunt? Yeah. Yeah, that's what we did. So we just we just basically we parked on the side road and, and we hiked in. So, yeah, it was a lot how, of fun. How far back did you guys go set up camp? Uh, Well, we walked in the first day and we we got there late and um, we walked in the very first day, walked probably, I think, six kilometers and then we set up there and then we hunted out of that we stayed there two nights and we kind of hunted around there there was some lakes and there was a lot of elk signs so we we kind of got elk fever and started forgetting what we were actually there doing <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we we're looking i don't know you know like i say we're, we're looking at rubs and we're looking at wallows and all of a sudden we're like hey man what are we doing here we gotta we gotta focus on some goats so we go back up high and we start uh just glassing them outside and we've seen two goats and um there was one nice big one there and um he ended up taking that one uh, but unfortunately it was a nice big billy and uh it was over 10 inches but it, his horn broke off when he fell down so it's kind of kind of crushing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then uh we got that guy we got him all loaded up and um we decided well we stayed there that night and then in the morning we said okay well let's get out of this area because we've already you know we 
fired some shots and we've been around stinking that area up. So and we didn't see a lot of a lot of goat sign and goat activity. So we, we were, figured we'd go to uh, to the other drainage on the other side and we were walking out. We kind of just stopped uh, for lunch and, and we were having a, a piss break and stuff. And then I started to do some glassing and then I kind of noticed a fuzzy white dot up behind a tree on right above us. And sure enough, it was a goat. And yeah, just made a, a plan to get on him. It was too late in the day. So we hiked up, set up camp a little higher. And then the plan was to go up above him. Where we last seen him that afternoon, we were going to get up on top of him. Uh, and kind of figure out where they were and make a plan. Um, so we we went up, we set up our camp and up there early in the morning and it, it all worked out. And got him loaded up and came back and my partner's tent was gone. So <laughs> that was that was interesting. His tent, he didn't stake it down very good and it was kind of soft ground on the one side. And it, uh, it was windy that day and it blew his tent off the, off the hillside. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> so... He and like it was late when we got back, so I was like, "Well, dude, there's no fucking way I'm going to like I'm not going looking for this tent." So you just bunk in with me, and I had um my inflatable air mattress and my my bag, and so he slept on my air mattress and I slept in my bag. But yeah, it was cozy in the tent that night, at least. Oh, fuck, <laughs> that's brutal. I mean, that's a hell of a story, but fuck me, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah. what are the chances of that? Like. Did he, did he find, end up finding his tent after? Yeah, we found it, but we didn't go retrieve it. It was just, it was, it was in a gnarly spot. And I was like, man, I, I'm going to have to tie a rope to you and lasso you down there. So he's like, fuck it. It's, it's an old tent anyway. <laughs> so we just, yeah. we beetled out of there. And yeah, you tied your, right after your goat, you tied the elk into that same trip. Yeah. So, um, after it was after the tent incident and, uh, we we're coming out and we came across a, a group of elk and, uh, we kind of just yeah, took off our bag. I don't want to get into a lot of detail. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm still bugging, still bugging my buddy to come on. And I, our, our elk hunt is what I really want to get into when talking to him. Cause, uh, it was, it was, uh, like I said, it was a lot of luck and it was, it was, it was a shit show, you know, once we got him down and all that stuff. So I kind of want to go over to him with that. But we were actually just doing two trips. We weren't too far from the truck. So we were basically just going like two hours, dropping our stuff off, going back two hours, kind of advancing that way. And then we got to the ridge and then kind of took off our packs to unload. And I said, hey, man, I think there's some elk down there. And sure enough, we glassed it down below. And yeah, there was some elk. So we we ran to to get advantage on him and he was calling and... um yeah, I ended up getting one. So yeah, it was pretty good. I was pretty happy. But uh, then the work began. As it always does when you kill an elk in the backcountry. You know, the trip was was nice. And it was in most parts, it was pretty cushy up till that point till we got the elk down. And then, yeah, then the work began, as you both know. Oh, yeah. We got back to the end of the trailhead where my truck was. Yeah, we was late that night and uh, really late. And I just I was so bagged. I just threw all my shit in the back of my truck, opened my door and laid on my the bench of the backseat of my truck. And man, I was out, woke up, seen some daylight in the morning. I got up and we we're kind of like, okay, I'm out of here. And that was it. Didn't talk to him for, I think, another day or two after that. But I know the feeling because when, uh, while our pack out last year with our elk was the same thing, we ended up getting back to the quad and like my legs were ready to buckle. I couldn't, I couldn't stand up. My back was raw. It was just like, it was so steep in spots where I had to turn around and face the mountain to climb down because the antlers were dragging the ground. Like, and then our sheep hunt this year, same thing, like just a grind, no sleep the night before. Cause we, we talked about that before we slept in the, the creek bottom that night or laid in the creek bottom. Yeah. 
and got back to camp and I just collapsed. I just threw my backpack off and laid face down in the grass for probably 10 minutes. <laughs> like yeah. you just not, not another shred of effort left in you. You're just done. You're done. Yeah, man. And it, like I trained hard for that trip. Like I get up at four o'clock in the morning, every morning and I, I work out for an hour and a half before work. And you just not, doesn't matter what you do. You just, you can't get in shape for that. I think I lost, I was 197 when I left for that trip back. And then when I came back, I was 181. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 I dropped, I dropped a big spread on that one. Yeah. <laughs> that's great well and you know the last couple of days of the trip though uh with this tent going over and everything in it i had to share all my grub so that didn't help at all yeah no doubt yeah. Fuck, you could I, you could I, start I, a fit fitness podcast called come out light yeah man <laughs> it was funny on the way back i think i must have hit up A&W's on the way back home from the kootenays there <laughs> oh that's yeah, great man. good one so, so you guys did uh you guys did a, a sheep hunt how you guys did that up in region seven you're saying yep yeah um success yeah, kind of i yeah it was a real good success i got my first ram uh that was devin's first hunt as well and we did, you know, there was opportunities maybe to get another one if we would have stayed another day, but just the situation with the the hide and I knew it was going to be about three days back and it was hotter than hell or kind of had to get out of there. But yeah, we, Devin never been sheep hunting before and I've gone three times. So we're like, Hey, let's, you got to go up North, man. It's, it's super cool experience. The countries are unbelievable. The animals you see, like when was it, Dev? Do you think we decided kind of December or? end of hunting season the year before when we made the wow yeah we were the first time we actually like threw it around as a real idea was when we finally got you your elk yeah two hunting seasons ago we were picking up the meat from the the butcher and because i finally crossed that off my fucking list and i've been trying to cross it off for five straight years and like i was really happy when we did we finally said okay are we going north next year because i think we like we couldn't go north for sheep until we crossed your elk off the list and we said it then, and then January is like this time of the year. We were like, okay, what are we doing? I want to book holidays. Are we doing it? Because if we're doing it, let's start planning right now. And I think it was something, you know, like a phone call, except for we didn't record it. Now we record our phone calls and put them on the internet. <laughs> 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 so yeah, we just fucking said Kurt had a spot that he had been scouting, talking to biologists and just we weren't going to do a fly-in yet. Like I'm sure Kurt and I will probably chip up some money one day to, to do a fly-in. We'll try to do something, but we, we really like the adventure side of it. Like that's the same with our elk hunts. We like to just put the boots on the ground, find a valley, find a hole. We east scout hard. Um, like it's Kurt's really good at it. He sends me clips. So we're as a partnership, like couldn't ask for better partners. We are on the same page. We're sending clips of mountaintops and valleys and river crossings and all this stuff so we started that last february and then just planned it out like how are we going to do this are we taking quads are we doing this where can we hike like so yeah it was kind of just kurt kind of fed me with the information and then we just ran from there what gear do we need to buy for this trip optics all that kind of stuff yeah well that's that's pretty good man I, you guys had success I've never even bought a sheep tag in my life. So uh, it's one of those things that I've just been waiting for an LEH and no success yet. So hopefully this is the year, but yeah, I'd love to get one. That's for sure. Have you, uh, you ever thought about, you know, going region seven for uh, thin horns at all or uh, region oh. six or is it six, I guess. Seven. Well, yeah. I think all the Cassie area. Yeah. Um, you know, last year I was trying to get Rowan Unruh to take me on a trip. He used to guide up there and I mean, he's got dozens of 
stone sheep and sheep. I try to get him to take me on a trip up there, but uh, it's for me, it's just hard finding someone to go with. I don't, it's one of those trips where solo trip would be, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's solo. I like, I got buddies that do it, but they're a different breed. Yeah. Right, like they're usually guides that do that. Yeah, for three months a year. Yeah, so now, yeah, exactly. If I, I would have no problem doing it. Like I do solo hunts all the time, but it's a hunt that I've done, and it's an area where I've been before. But to just go in blind, it's kind of one of those things. that's like, wow, that's a lot um, for a solo hunt. Yeah, it's it's super tough. Like first time I went sheep hunting with my brother in law, we went up the Cassiar Highway side and. I had no idea, right? Like my one of my best friends is a sheep guide. So I'm like, Kate, what do I need to buy? Tell me the gear. Like I bought boots and he looked at him. He's like, You take those back. You don't want those. You you won't last two days in those boots. So go get get these kind of boots and you're gonna need this. You know, like he I had some pretty good mentorship on where to start. And mm. you know, that that first time I went was fucking expensive. <laughs> There's no way around it because <laughs> I had to upgrade literally everything oh, yeah. from yeah. my boots to my pack to my long johns right so having a good mentor make goes a long ways because it's the difference of having a good trip and a fucking yeah. horrible trip yeah man so being prepared was my brother-in-law like he'd never been up that area either right so we both were kind of well there's a trail through here let's just go up there and see what we fucking see right so rip and rip it. Up, yeah we ended up i seen a legal ram the day before it opened up and we ended up fucking, they ended up spotting us and then they busted. We never seen them again. But we seen, I don't know, hundreds of lambs and ewes and hundreds of goats. Like they were everywhere. It was, it was such a cool experience that, you know, we ended up going back up there. I think four years later, exact same spot. We never seen rams that time. Well, we seen a couple little rams, like little banana heads. Yeah. But ended up shooting a goat and a wolf on that trip. And we got charged by a grizzly bear. Like it was, it was pretty wild up there. That that second trip was pretty unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Was that uh, your first run in with a grizz? Uh the first aggressive. I've like, you know, we around here there's lots of grizzly bears, but that was the yeah. first time where, you know, you we were fucking like we put on eighty six kilometers that trip on foot. Wow. Like round trip. So like we were a good thirty K back. So something happened, man. Like, and we didn't have yeah. an inreach, and we had a spot that worked once in a blue moon. Like, it never really oh, yeah. worked good. So it was kind of, I don't know. Like after that, I had a lot more respect for grizzly bears. After that, because before you're like you're in a truck or whatever, you're like whatever, no big deal. Devin and I used to go fly fishing down the Bowen River when we were kids, and there's grizzly bears thick as thieves out there. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, all we'd have is a fillet knife. We were like 12 years old, never had a care in the world. Now, yeah. like, I don't go out there without a gun or bear spray or something. Just, and that kind of opened up my eyes because that bear, like my buddy I was hunting with, he's the one that spotted it. And he's like, Oh, there's a bear over there. And I turn around, this thing's like head up, full tilt running at us. Oh, and I'm like, Get your fucking gun out right now. That thing's coming for us. Like, he's not seeing what we are. Like, he's coming at us. Yeah. And it got to about 50 yards and I shot one over his head and it hit the brakes and ran away. But, like I, I could look over and see my tent like 500 yards from where we were standing. And I'm yep. like, that bear, that bear's coming into camp tonight for sure. So yeah. I lay there all night long, my gun on my chest in my tent, like just waiting for that paw to push down on the tent. Right? <laughs> oh, I hate so that. It, it, like I said, it fucking really opened up my eyes and it seemed like that year was the worst year 
I don't know, as soon as I got back, because we went up in August, right? So we got back and we kind of rolled into elk season here in Quinnell. And I was out bow hunting by myself. So I, I got a bull responding back and kind of just kind of seeing where he's at locating. And I kind of hear some, you know, some crunching to my left and kind of look back. And I ended up walking back onto the road. And there's a sow and three cubs grizzly bear like 50 yards from me. And I got my bow. I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> like it, and that was three weeks later, right? Like it was, I don't know, man. It, yeah, yeah, I have a, a lot more respect for how fast those fucking things can move since that day. Me and my brothers and, and all my buddies, we used to fish lots along the Skeena River and the salmon runs. There'd be, there'd be grizzlies everywhere. And we never thought anything of them. We'd be on one side of like Pauly Marbar and they'd be on the other side of the other, right? You know, being young and just, just didn't give a shit. We never gave two thoughts about them at all. And I don't know. I don't know if it's now I'm older and I got kids and, but man, I sure think about them differently. Now we had on coming on the pack out with that elk this year, we had a, a close call with it. That's why I kind of want to save it and talk with, uh, with my partner about it. But, uh, yeah, I didn't sleep a wink that night after that laid in my tent. Uh, well, an art with me. You but, mean the uh, endangered grizzly bear out in the East Kootenays? Fuck. I thought, I thought there weren't a lot of them out there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we seen that was, uh, I mean, we didn't see a lot of grizzlies, but, uh, we've seen a lot of sign. Yeah. But, I uh, fucking bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that, that's the going word. There's no grizzlies left in the Kootenays, eh? Like yeah, the rest of BC. Yeah. That's right. They're, uh, they're endangered out there. Yeah. 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 Fuck. What yeah. a crock of shit. You yeah. need to send, need a couple of grizzlies to go down, uh, in Vancouver there in Victoria. Hey, there's an idea. Just yeah. load them up in a fucking cattle truck. Yeah, we'll see what people, we'll see about what the influencers think about grizzly bears then. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking, that might be one of the best movements for conservation this province ever seen. <laughs> yeah, go dump them down on Kitsilano Beach and see how that goes. Yeah, here you go. Grizzly bears aren't a problem. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, that's wild. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, we, I kind of wanted to ask you, Kev, like, cause, just uh, getting into this podcast and world and this game and everything we've been doing, uh, both of us like this. And where did, when did you decide to jump into focus hunting? Like, how did that start for you as far as a brand and, and kind of why you wanted to go there? Um, like I said, I, you know, I knew that there was issues going on in our province. And, you know, I did a lot of commercial fishing and I knew there was issues. I mean, the fishing industry has tons of issues with it. So, uh, I knew there was issues both in the fishing and the hunting industry. And then it was just seeing hunting with my kids and, uh, and spending time with them in the outdoors. And, um, like I said, I slowly started to get involved with the nonprofit organizations, you know, like the BC Wildlife Federation, backcountry hunters and anglers and all that. And, um, I started becoming a member and then, uh, started getting involved and, you know, reading their emails and then kind of going on websites. And, you know, then you, you slowly start to pay attention and you slowly, your eyes open up and see what's really going on in the province and, and where the issues lie and what's getting done and more importantly, what's not getting done. Um, and then, so, you know, then I, I started reaching out to these groups and, but I mean, most of these groups, they're, they're nonprofit, right? They're, they're people that aren't getting paid. So they don't have a lot of time. They work, you know, they got to work during the day and they have households to run. They got kids. So um, they're checking emails 15 minutes before they got to go to bed and stuff like that. Right. So, uh, yeah, you know, I offered to, you know, donate my time and, and, you know, I was donating a bit of money and I was already members and, uh, I just wasn't getting enough reaction quick enough. I'm kind of an impatient person when I want to do something, I want to do it right now type of thing. And, um, 
yeah, I kind of just sat on the idea that I wanted to, to get involved some way. And, um, um, you know, just, I came up with the idea to, to start a clothing company and then not just start up a clothing company to sell on online to sell it and donate that money back to conservation groups. And, uh, I started with the wild sheep society and I started with BC interior SCI and, um, yeah, it, it kind of, it kind of just went from there. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Can you tell our listeners, uh, how much of the, the profits from focus clothing goes towards conservation? Uh, well, last year we did uh, a fundraiser with, with BC interior SCI, and we were donating $25 gift certificates to all new members who joined up with them. Um, and then we donated some t-shirts and stuff with them and we were helping out the wild chief society. They got hit hard with COVID. They were supposed to do their fundraiser on the Friday. And then Bonnie Hendry released the bombshell that uh, can't have groups of over 50 people. So they had to cancel it on a Friday. So they did an online fundraiser through Facebook, donated a bunch of clothing to them. So that helped. And then I also helped them do a membership drive, which basically basically gave new members the opportunity to go to focus hunting and they received, depending on their membership, they received certain um, items off the webpage. So it was good. And this year we're doing, uh, we collaborated with the Wild Sheep Society of BC and we're doing a t-shirt and all the profits from that t-shirt go right to the Wild Sheep Society of BC and um, BC Interior SEI. Uh, they're going to be selling $100 gift certificates and $50 gift certificates through their webpage that are redeemable at Folk Tunning and all the profits goes back to that to that chapter. So yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. But with these podcasts, yeah, I never really expected how much fun they are and not only how much fun, how much work they are. They're a lot of work. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I think it's been like when we've I'm sure you're the same way. Like you don't know what to expect. You're like, okay, are we, let's, let's do a podcast. Let's talk about hunting. And yeah, I think our favorite parts have been some of the interactions we've had, even with friends we've, we were friends with before the podcast, some of the stories and the, the emotions that come out just from sitting down in front of a microphone and talking about your hunting season. It has been awesome. And I, and I look forward to, I mean, even today so far on this podcast, hearing your stories about goat hunting. I mean, for the listeners out there, Kevin, myself, and Kurt, we don't know we don't know each other. We've never met before. This is the first time we've sat down and talked. But I, I don't know if it's the podcasting world or the hunting world, but it's I think it's the hunting world where you just feel like you've had a conversation before because you have the same values with that hunting and the stories and shit. So that's what we really enjoy. I think that's what if anyone's looking to to find something a platform to listen to, Kurt and I just want to talk about stories and and we want to touch on the conservation we obviously don't have as as much of a knowledge as you so it's been it was really nice for you to reach out and and we can learn some things from your platform and and what we can do as hunters to help out in this province I guess I mean I get questions at work all the time at lunch you know I got other hunters I work with and and I don't know much about you know the best plays in BC and and what we need to do and now they're starting to notice the declining numbers of deer and elk in our province and they asked me this year before I started a podcast what can we do like how do we help out as hunters so I was actually curious on your thoughts like besides just joining a group or donating is there something that the normal hunter the everyday guy can do to help out like what's the best play on their part I mean that's for me too that's a question coming right from me as well 
number one, you got to join a group. Um, reach out to that group once you join them and, and just lend a helping hand. I mean, again, you know, these nonprofit organizations, for the most part, it's all just donated time. And if you could donate your time a little bit, it's going to make all the difference in the world. Yeah. Uh, just to add on that too, I, I listened to your, uh, your podcast with Kyle there from the Wild Sheep Society of BC. And like, I've met him a few times through the shows. And I think my, like my first time going to the sheep show, I, we were just happened to be in Kamloops and my buddy was going to him like, oh, yeah, I would bring the wives there. You know, they were, they weren't that interested in the old ladies, but I was like, Oh, cool. You know, this auction's really sweet. And then I seen how much like money that people were buying, spending on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Wolf hide just goes for thousands of dollars over and over again. And I look at these people like, they're crazy. What are they doing? But I didn't understand the concept behind it. And then as I started kind of, you know, following the Wild Sheep Society after that, going to that event. And then I went to the next one. Then I'm like, I get why people are buying a wolf hide for $5,000 and then donating it back so someone else can buy it for $5,000. Until basically the, the guy who ends up with a wolf hide at the end is kind of like, oh, fuck, no one really wants the damn thing, right? But yeah. I was like, fuck, I'll take a wolf hide for 500 bucks. <laughs> like thinking I'm going to get a deal, right? And yeah. But not not knowing what it stood for and then yeah. you know like becoming buddies with lots of guys in the wild sheep society and and going starting to go sheep hunting myself like you understand where those dollars are going and the yeah. cause behind it it's and a lot of guys don't get that like i never knew that i've hunted my whole life and you know it's yeah. it yeah. wasn't about that right yeah no exactly and yeah i mean that's another thing. You you join a group and just get involved and then you're going to see the real value of, of your time and your effort and, you know, how, how a little bit of money can go a long way. Um, back to what you said, Dev, reaching out and sharing each other's stories. And that's what I've had a lot of fun doing is just talking to guys like yourself. Yeah, you're right. We we don't know each other from Adam, but I mean, you know, sitting here talking to you guys, I feel like I've known you for five years now, right? So, yeah, um, part of it is just trying to create awareness to what's really going on because in the in the end of it, I'm, you know, I'm doing all this for my kids. Um, it's not for me. I've already, not that I don't want to continue to enjoy the outdoor, but um, if I had to choose between my kids enjoying it and myself, I would choose them within a heartbeat. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like another question, I don't know if you have an answer to, and it's not a, a deep question or anything, but as hunters in BC, um, and maybe the answer has already been said, the best way to stay informed in BC on say, uh, maybe region or season closures coming up, or maybe the government's talking about, you know, shutting down cat hunting, certain ways they do it, dog pursuit, yeah. those kind of issues. Like, well, we don't have to talk about the grizzly bear closure because everyone in BC knows that's a hunter knows it's a fucking fucked up way to do it. But how yeah, is but, there, yeah. is there a place to go to that keeps us super linked to these issues? Or is that only through joining a group? Like where's, from you, where's the best place to stay informed so that we can voice our opinions and our and our thoughts on these issues? Do you know? Uh, well, you know, and that's really tough because the government's not going to listen to you or I. Getting your voice heard, it's really hard. That's why it's important to join a group, um, voice your opinions within those groups, and they're going to address they're going to address your opinions in the best way that they can. Uh, the people that are involved with these organizations like BC Interior, SAI, Backcountry's Hunters and Anglers, and they really care. And um, I'm not an expert in by any means, so, you know, I'm, I myself and just sort of getting to all the politics of it. But uh, 
yeah, from my knowledge, the best way to do is just, just to join a group and let your voice be heard and, and, and help out. You know what I mean? Keep your concerns, voice them, and then help on other people's concerns. Because it's not just about your concerns, because these these groups and these organizations, they have got a lot of issues that they're dealing with. So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, I think another thing we could even do is... There's a couple of podcasts growing in BC and talking about these issues is probably, you know, keeping the chats behind scenes going. So when we hear of something and that needs to be talked about, maybe we send you a shout out to share the word on your platform yeah. and you should probably be doing the same thing. I don't, I'm hoping that people are listening and they're paying attention and yeah, they want to hear the stories and everything, but sometimes we're going to talk about serious shit. And then maybe on that same episode, we talk about some fun shit. So it's not completely boring for them too. The things, they go hand in hand. I mean, without the conservation, you know, the continuity of hunting not going to exist. It just won't be there. Unfortunately, uh, the way the government handles its wildlife is, it's, it's appalling. Um, yeah. So that's why we have to, as, as hunters, we have to do our part. It's, it's our obligations. And unfortunately, I mean, I know nobody likes to do it and it's a lot of work. And um, I wish we had a government that could just, we could just rely on manage the wildlife properly. Unfortunately, we don't have that. Yeah, I, I definitely know what, like, you know, with the population numbers and whatnot, but it, it kind of seems everything is divided, I found, in BC. You know, like, there's the Wild Sheep Society here, there's the Rocky Mountain Elk, and but like you said, everyone needs to come together as a whole, because, you know, like, another thing, I just, I got... Uh, you're in Kyle's interview because I just listened to it earlier today and you know like talking about how the anti-hunters how they're organized and you know they're they're prepared and they're firing on all cylinders where the hunting community is kind of it's yep. really divided you yeah, know there's there's a sheep hunters and that that's a pretty good core and then yep. you know you get your your elk hunters or whatever you, there's a couple yep. hillbillies in there and some rednecks and you know they're yeah. not going to sign up for nothing because they're like well I'm not going to give $50 to someone I don't know and well, that's the and- problem it, it, that is the problem exactly there's there's a lot of facets these anti-hunting groups they don't give a shit about all they don't give a shit about the difference between a bear hunter an elk hunter a deer hunter or whatever they're gonna start picking apart hunting and they start with the easiest the easiest thing that they can they can grab it's like a low apple on a fruit tree it always gets picked right yep. the next target you know after grizzly bears say they start targeting black bears and then all the deer hunters say well i don't get shit about the black bears i don't hunt them anyway let them have it what are they going to go after after they get rid of the black bear the deer and it's just going to follow along that line because they don't give a shit about anything all they want to do is shut hunting down that's their only objective and it all starts with that if you give them like the grizzly bear hunt that was on hunters we didn't have a strong enough voice to oppose what was really going on and i mean um it should have been addressed maybe five years instead of talking about the fact that, well, maybe we should start taking the meat out, that you had to take out the meat then. Then, and it comes to propose that, well, you need to shut down this trophy hunt. We could have had a, a rebuttal saying, well, this isn't a trophy hunt. We're harvesting the meat, right? At least we'd have a... Yeah, a foot to stand on for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, there was a few people, like I know uh, the outfitters, like the guide association, they were trying to fight it mm-hmm. because that, you know, there was a lot of revenue through that. And Oh, Yeah. And the number of grizzly bears that actually got killed throughout the year is yeah, like, it, I think it's 2%. 2% yeah. of the grizzly bears were allowed to be in harvest. And, so, yeah. you know, that's the same as LEH uh, with sheep, right? Yeah. I put, I ended up getting one grizzly bear tag and I ended up getting a grizzly bear, but it took me 16 years to get a grizzly bear tag. Yeah, and exactly. Got it down the next year. So I could imagine I met, I know my dad probably put in for 20 years, never got one. And, you know, 
well, we can talk about it all day long. I've I've gone on about several rants on our six podcasts about grizzly bears because well, but again, it's just it's just the easy target. That's what it is, right? The our opposers are going to go for the easiest target. I mean, they put a label on anything, trophy hunting, and that's a big one, right? We got no response to that or very limited response. That's why we need to all band together and uh, and stand up for this because it's always going to be something. They've got a list with 30 things on it. And once well, it's gone, you'll never get it back. Well, exactly. Exactly. Once it's gone, it's gone. It's going to, you know, how hard it is to fight to get something back that you've lost. It's almost impossible. Yeah. Well, and it's, is it the anti hunting groups? looking at making sure all the neutral parties <clears throat> support them is that is that what they're do you think that's what they're really targeting and going after and is it up to us as hunters to make sure like that we also maybe go after those neutral parties to show them the values of hunting and why we you know generations upon generations have gone out of it so you know you see things and, and we're in social media this is what we're doing we're getting our opinions out there we're talking to people i've been told by hunters to stop posting on social media, you know, stop it. And I'm like, you know, I don't think that's the right message to send across. Cause that's all we do is just give away, give away. Now there might be a certain type of content to maybe keep from posting, but not posting about your passions and the things you love. Isn't the way to win the war either. I think showing people like I have people that are listening to our podcast now, and I'm sure you do too, Kev, that they don't hunt. They've never hunted before in their life. You know, I've, I work with them, but they're not against hunting. And now they've yeah. listened to the podcast and they're like, holy fuck. I didn't know. Like it was like a sport, like as far as exercise and, and yeah. how much work you guys put into things sometimes. And I'm like, well, not every hunter does that. It's just certain passionate groups and mountain hunters and different things, but it's important to all of us. And we get slandered through the mud with, with anything out there. And, and I think that's what the aunties are always going for. So part of voicing your opinion is also voicing your passion out there and not being scared to, to put your content out there. Uh, that's how I'm kind of looking at it. Yeah, well, exactly. And I mean, the same thing. I mean, I, I know people who've never hunted in their life, but me sharing my stories and my experiences with my dad and my son and three generations hunting there, they want to do the same, see what's going on with their kids. Their kids are sitting in front of their video game for eight hours a day on a Saturday. And ask me well hey how do i get into hunting you know what do i have to do what's the first steps and you tell them and you know i say okay well first of all you got to go you know you got to go get your core get your pal and then once you do that we'll get you shooting a rifle and we'll go to the range you'll learn the proper way so when you on he's learning the proper way and and yeah i mean it's it's all starts there and um not sharing stuff on social media i mean we shouldn't have to hide from the fact that we're hunters but um i mean yeah i'm all for sharing your hunting stories and and all that stuff but i mean yeah do it with a bit of poise you know yeah. what i mean don't uh i mean you don't got to spear a, uh, a bear with uh with a spear and then grab its blood and wipe it all over your face and put it on youtube that just makes yourself an easy target yeah i i just from my experience it's the misinformed general population are the ones that they see something on facebook about some a hunter doing something yeah. like that and they're just like oh hunting is awful or look at these people, these hillbillies that live in the bush and yeah. then do all this shit. And then, you know, I've had some conversations with family members that don't hunt, don't know anything about hunting. And, you know, I sit down and tell them what I do and why I do it and the the story behind it. And by the end of it, they're like, they all want to come up to go hunting. They want to yeah. come up from the coast and, and come hang out and go camping and go tenting and backpacking. Yeah. yeah because but, it's, it's not all about exactly. It's not all about just killing an animal. I mean, there's so many nuances. It's, you and know. 
the just the sheer numbers like on Facebook and you know social media is the worst because people see they see a video and they're like, well, that's got to be true. Well, that could have been anywhere in the world. Doesn't mean it's in British Columbia about someone doing something stupid, but they they represent a, that as all hunters, and yeah. it's definitely not the case, right? And but we don't have a voice, and even the the social media presence isn't there and you know like you said if you're gonna do something do it tastefully like Mm -hmm. you don't have to have the things guts hanging out and like you said crawling around in blood you know when i was 20 i post pictures where i had bloody hands and a big smile and Mm -hmm. you know it was all great but now i kind of look back like that's not giving a good image no exactly yeah yeah make it palatable you know what i mean make it so other people are gonna look look at it and they're not gonna look at it in disgust and then because yeah i mean that's the stereotypical belief is that you know that a lot of hunters are just out there killing shit for most hunters most hunters i know anyway it's it's about the involvement about all the facets of it that that are involved with with hunting it's you know like you said the fitness it's the training minutia of a hunt it's it's the spending time with your dad and you know um you know most of my great memories I have with my dad is times that him and I spent in the outdoors. And when he's gone, that's all I'm going to have left of him is those memories of him and I together out hunting. And then uh, my son's going to, it'll be the same when my son, when I'm gone with my son. Yeah. Those are the, the greatest memories. I think I can, you know, pull up in my life. I think like I did a lot of things like anyone, we all had our experiences, you know, we've played sports. We, yep. we partied, we went to concerts and fuck, could I tell you what my first concert was? No. But I can vividly play back the first deer hunt, my first successful deer hunt as a 12-year-old with my dad, just me and him on the family farm, like it was yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Can I remember what I did any other time that year? What hockey game I played in when I was 12 years old? There's something about it. And that's what, you know, the the people that don't know, they just don't get. And it's kind of up to us as hunters to to show that and how how those memories get burned. And going for a hike isn't the same there's hardships and it's that type two it's that those tough enduring weather it's you know and it's also the sacrifice of like taking a life and and i'm not trying to get too like um deep here but like when you do it's like but it it is it's all part of it the value it is like i'm not saying like it's the deepest thing ever but there's something different when you take a life and then you process it and you eat it i don't get how it gets so convoluted into this evil this yeah. thing in society nowadays but i mean we're all kind of on the same page i think for sure yeah and i think that's that's the biggest thing is not just us but all hunters as hunters in general we have to be i mean like i said unfortunately it'd be nice if we didn't have to do it but um that's the weight of being a hunter you know it's like being a dad or or being a boss there's there's uh there's work to be done and we're, we're the ones who are gonna have to man up and do it that's a good way to put it um well I've, i feel like we've probably carried on the the kind of topic of conservation and yeah man and what we need to do is hunting for for a good chunk here i'm sure we could have another podcast the three of us and and talk about the same thing but maybe to end off on a bit of a a higher note and a bit of a happier note what uh you got what do you got planned for this season here kev coming up for this year uh well i mean turkey obviously i'm still i've been working with a buddy he's uh he's training some dogs so we've been uh we've been out chasing cats but just with the weather here we haven't had any luck we haven't had any snow i think in almost a month so it's been pretty tough uh so that and then i'll i'll get out for some coyotes uh over the winter here and then spring i'll be 
chasing turkeys, uh, double down on some bears this spring and then roll into the fall and uh, September 1st, I'll be chasing elk and um, depends, all depends on my LEH draws if I get any at all. So kind of just, I kind of plan everything around my LEH draw. We'll, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, hopefully I get uh, a moose draw in region eight. That'd be nice. We put in for a group draw every year in region eight here and uh, we haven't got one. So hopefully fingers crossed. I say that every year, but I'm hoping this is the year, but it'll be the normal in the fall. It'll be elk and whitetail, mule deer. How about you guys? Go ahead, Deb. Uh, yeah, well, Kurt and I are kind of hashing out, uh, we kind of got the sheep bug there last year. So, uh, Kurt owes me one. He's pulled the trigger on, uh, a big elk and he pulled the trigger on the sheep. So he gets to be my spotter for the next round. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, so that's I just, think... that's just cause I'm a better hunter than you. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys ever need a third wheel, just let me know. I'm a great that's... anchor. You, you leave your you leave your gun at home and just bring a pack for us or what? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you bet. No tags, no gun. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're we're kind of shooting for that. We uh, haven't actually dialed pencil it right in, but we talked about some dates heading early August. Maybe head back to Region Seven and see if we can muster up another stone sheep. If not, it's just the adventure of those hunts for me and Kurt is pretty awesome. We like the challenge. It gets gets us off the couch and and onto the treadmills and throw the packs on every once in a while and then i was just talking to one of my hunting partners down here just today started looking at the moon phase for september and and what kind of archery elk and elk scouting trips and which honey holes we're going to throw some cams on already so that's what yeah it doesn't take long for us to start really dialing that in so i'll get some pictures and and try to see if Kurt will drive down again in September too. I don't know if he'll do north and south. Well, we'll have to see. Uh, for yeah. me, it's, you know, spring bear. I like to spot and stalk. I got buddies with some hounds. I, I've never done the bear hunt with the hounds. And he's been bugging me to go. So hopefully we get out to experience that this year. But just try to get as much as I can. The springtime is usually when work gets super busy for me. So I haven't had a lot of opportunity the last couple of years. But, and then, yeah, probably august rolling to sheep hunt september same thing same as devon maybe make a trip down there all depends on leh's you know i've been banking on a moose trough where it's been eight years now and i don't know why we don't get them but yeah i'm in the same boat as you man it'll it'll throw a fucking elbow into our all our plans if one of us draws a a bighorn tag or or something like that something crazy right but and that, yeah, and that, that's yeah. the tough thing. It's tough to plan a, ha- a hunt, and then you know what I mean. Like you have to take a lot of time off work, costs a lot of money. But plan a hunt, and then all of a sudden you get a October moose draw, and you've been and you've been putting in for these LEHs for seven or eight years. It's like, oh man, yeah, like, it's like. LEH, uh, I'll go ahead, Kurt. My sorry. last LEH, I got. <laughs> I was just saying, uh, last time I pulled a moose draw, I pulled a grizzly draw and a caribou draw in the senior. So and and I had to go guiding for two weeks out of that whole season too right so you pick one and do one i ended up getting a moose and a grizzly and i never went on the caribou hunt and yeah. i got a caribou hunt a caribou draw last year as well and we already had a sheep hunt plan so didn't get to go on that as well right it's you, you always seem to get the tags when you already got other plans these the lottery draw sure makes it tough you know in the time that we've been putting it for the shared my cousin's been putting in with his group and they've gotten it twice and we haven't gotten it once figure that out yeah blows my mind yeah 
I know. And then my brother, he's and my youngest brother, he's in Alberta and they they run off the point system. And yeah, I don't know. It's definitely, they definitely have it a lot more dialed in how they do things in Alberta than we do here in BC. That's for sure. Yeah. I've always been interested in that point system. I, I don't, I know Alberta is similar to the States where you run it. The other thing yeah. I, I would really like to see BC adopt and maybe I'm way out to left field here because I don't have a fucking clue how this all works. But you see the states, guys, they're putting in for their tags now and they're getting the results back come February, come late January. Fuck, would it be nice to have our results in January and February instead of the fucking June 1st and you got to go on a sheep hunt in August 1st? Yeah. And now you pulled another sheep draw, like you were saying, like you got to, oh, well, maybe we don't go north. Well, fuck, we just spent guys spend money on flights. They spend money on fuck, like everything, oh. like everything's booked in advance and like. I don't think they get, and that's how disconnected our government is with how, how hunters actually need to, to work and do our, do our part here. So it's, it's just yeah, to the point system, the point creep system. I mean, that's the way to do it, in my opinion. I mean, at least then you can have some, you can start to plan for some of these things. You say, well, I'm going to be putting in for my mule deer tags or my, my sheep LEH here, but I don't have enough points. So I'm going to let that build up. And then you're going to plan for whatever, your caribou hunt or whatever, because you know that you're not going to get it, but you're still going to build your points to accumulate it. And then you get enough points to put in for your draws, hopefully get it. And then you can kind of plan around that. Try, try planning August 1st start to your sheep season. Yeah, oh. well, it's it's uh, oh, it's been a lot of fun talking to you guys, and it's been a blast meeting you. And uh, hopefully we can make it a regular thing where we connect and just kind of see what each other's been up to. Yeah, I'd be into that for sure. This has been a lot of fun. Okay, guys, uh, on that note, I'm going to let you go, and we'll talk to you later. Yeah, All thanks, right. Kev. See you. you believe that? Wow. I guess it's all worth it. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.